This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. So, uh, thanks for being here. Good evening from my end. Uh, as I was reading the text, uh, I was looking for this one sentence definition of faith that I could just provide. Um, and um, I'm actually delighted that I didn't find it. There's a reason why Pope Francis spent about 80 pages talking about faith. Um, faith is plural. Faith is complex. has many facets. And um, as far as I understand, the project of Pope Francis here is to demonstrate that none of these, uh, neither of these, of these, none of these facet, facets in itself exhaustively and or comprehensively describes what faith is. So faith is a big picture project. Um, and I'm just going to share um, some of these facets with you. Um, in particular, I want to focus on the social dimensions of faith that um, Pope Francis explicitly describes in the fourth section of his encyclical on the headings such as faith and the common good, faith and the family, a light for life in society, and consolation and strength in suffering. In this final chapter of um, his encyclical, Francis writes that faith shapes all of life for the common good, for the family, for life in society, and, and interestingly, um, for consolation in suffering. Here, in this final chapter, Francis clarifies that faith and the common good are interwoven. Actually, he says that faith is truly a good for everyone. Faith is a common good. This link between faith and the common good leads to the creation of a place for Francis in which men and women live together with others. And by the way, everything that I say here is a quote from Francis, from some part of his encyclical. Francis does not wish to present faith as a journey alone. Faith is a process of building, a preparing of a place, a city in which human beings can dwell together with one another. The relationships between faithful persons reveal the presence of that reliable city which comes from God already here and now in this world. With this emphasis on the city, Francis clarifies that faith does not merely grant interior firmness, a steadfast conviction of the, on the part of the believer. It also sheds light on every human relationship because faith is one of love and reflects God's own love. And precisely because faith is linked to love, the light of faith is concretely placed at the service of justice, law, and peace. That is, faith does not, does not draw us away from the world or prove irrelevant to the concrete concerns of the people of our time. Rather, faith shows the proper nature or architecture, as Francis says, of human relationships. It just lights on the art of building the city in the service of the common good. 
For Francis, faith that does so much more than simply brighten the interior of the, of the church, or building an eternal city for the hereafter. Faith helps us build our societies here and now in such a way that they can turn it towards a future of hope. Administering justice and bringing peace are the goals of living in this very city. In Francis' words, the hands of faith are raised up to heaven even as they go about building in charity a city based on relationships in which the love of God is laid as a foundation. And then Francis considers some areas of life in the city illuminated by faith. The family, respect, protection and care for nature, models of development not based on utility and profit, just forms of government, the possibility of forgiveness, and the remembering of suffering. I'd like to continue very briefly with reflections on the one facet of faith described by Francis that seems to constitute the theoretical framework for a faith that is socially embedded. And I'd like to start with another quote. Our culture has lost its sense of God's tangible presence and activity in our world. We think that God is to be found in the beyond and another level of reality far removed from our everyday relationships. But if this were the case, if God could not act in the world, God's love would not be truly powerful, truly real, and thus not even true, a love capable of delivering the bliss that it promises. It would make no difference at all whether we believed in God or not. Christians, on the contrary, profess their faith in God's tangible and powerful love, which really does act in history and determines its final destiny. A love that can be encountered, a love fully revealed in Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. That is, Francis draws faith into the sphere of love. And many times this encyclical actually reads uh, like an encyclical on love and on and on faith. The first section of his encyclical is indeed called We Have Believe in Love. Here Francis makes clear many things. I want to emphasize three. Love has a history. Francis traces faith from Abraham through Israel to the faithfulness of, of Christian faith and that we all are saved by faith. Love is reliable. Christ's love is reliable. His death proves it. And God's love is reliable. Jesus' resurrection proves it. And that Jesus himself is worthy of faith. That is, Christ is not simply the one in whom we believe, the supreme manifestation of God's love. He is also the one with whom we are united precisely in order to believe. Faith does not merely gaze at Jesus, but sees things that Jesus himself sees them with his own eyes. It is participation in his way of seeing. And for Francis, as he elaborates on this concept of seeing, it becomes very clear that seeing leads one to action. Faith's way of seeing then things is centered on Christ. Faith in Christ brings salvation, because in Christ, our lives become radically open to a love that precedes us, 
the love that transforms us from within, acting in us and through us. Those who believe are transformed by the love to which they have opened their hearts in faith. By their openness to this offer of primordial love, their lives are enlarged and expanded. Some of the Francis uh, is saying that because Jesus pushes himself into our body, into our hearts, minds, and beings, we become enlarged. The self-awareness of the believer now expands because of the presence of another, the Christ, who now lives in that we now live in this other and thus in love and likes. Life takes on a whole new breath. In conclusion, for Francis, faith is a personal matter, but not a private matter. Not a completely individualistic notion or a personal opinion. For this encyclical, faith is personal union with God, trusting in God and in what God has done for us in Christ, and yet it is a faith that participates in Christ's own faith. Faith does not merely gaze at Jesus, but sees things as Jesus himself sees them, with his own eyes, it is participation in his way of seeing and acting. Lumen Fidei thus categorically states that faith illuminating life means Christ affecting our life and our convictions. Indeed, a Christocentrism or Christification of our life and commitments, convictions and values are called for. That is this one aspect of his encyclical that I wanted to emphasize really brings to, um, to the forefront of my thinking that, life, that faith is embodied. Faith is incarnate. Thanks. Thank you. Barbara mentioned the continuity that uh, exists in this document between uh, Pope Benedict and uh, Francis. And that's very true. Francis, as I'll read in a second, acknowledges it himself. I thought it would be interesting, in the light of the um, interview um, done with the Jesuits a couple weeks ago, uh, to look at this document and see if I could pick out Francisisms, if you will, uh, things that I think you know he added. My guess is that Benedict he said he wrote the first draft, and I think that he is the main author of this encyclical. Not uncommon. Many times, encyclicals are written by other people, and popes put their name on them. So I really believe that Pope uh, Benedict wrote most of this, but there are some what I would call Francisisms in it, and I'd like to maybe share them. Well, actually, Barbara and uh, Peter share a couple of them that I have. Um, but, um, you know, Benedict uh, <coughs> is a systematic theologian, par excellence, he's brilliant, uh, but he tends to be up in the stars, you know, he's very abstract. Uh, Francis is, if not a brilliant, certainly a very persuasive pastoral theologian. Uh, uh, Francis looks to where the rubber hits the road, where the life of God affects our lives and how we're affected by it and how we affect others by it. And so they were the kind of things I was kind of looking at uh, in, for, in, in this encyclical. And uh, there's some key words that Francis uses, as you'll hear, that uh, he used in that Jesuit document that I think. Uh, resonate in this document as well. So let me just uh, start by saying, let me just talk about what he says about the encyclical in terms of his and, and Benedict's writing. He says, these considerations on faith and continuity with all that the church's magisterium has pronounced on this theological virtue 
I meant to supplement what Benedict XVI had written in his encyclical letters on charity and hope. He himself had almost completed the first draft of an encyclical on faith. For this I am deeply grateful to him, and as his brother in Christ, I have taken up his fine work and added a few contributions of my own. He admits that he's just added a few contributions of his own. Um, the, the document starts out by saying, it, it is this light of faith that I would now like to consider so that it can grow and strengthen the present, becoming a star to brighten the horizon of our journey at a time when mankind is particularly in need of light. Uh, some key words, journey is one of them. Francis loves the idea that we're on this pilgrim path together, that we're in solidarity with one another, and not just Christians, everybody. And, and journey is kind of messy. He talks about uh, the messiness of life and how Christians, uh, sometimes their own life is messy, uh, but sometimes they're called to help, either through prayer or activity, uh, unmessimize the world, if you will. Uh, he, uh, he sees the, the role of the Christian as being involved. He says, uh, we can't find God in first class. I love that saying. It's one that wasn't picked up by the press too much. But the idea is, you know, when you travel in first class, whether it's train or plane, they do everything possible to isolate you from anybody else. Uh, even sometimes in first class international flights, you have a little room by yourself, and you just don't see a soul except the flight attendants until you land. And he said, that's not where God is found. God is found in the messiness of coach, where babies are crying, where you don't have any light room, where people are climbing over you, where sometimes there's some awful smells. Uh, this is where the messiness of life is. This is where God is. Uh, and so, you know, I think in, in terms of, of his notion of faith, it's on this messy journey together, but where we help one another, where we try to live the life of Jesus to make the world a better place. Uh, he says, Vatican II was a council on faith, inasmuch as it asked us to restore the primacy of God in Christ to the center of our lives, both as a church and as individuals. Uh, the primacy of God in Jesus Christ is another thing that Francis emphasized, the uh, getting to know Jesus uh, personally uh, as, as the one who uh, takes on our humanity and, and becomes one with us in, in our journey uh, to uh, discover and reveal also the presence and power of God in our midst. Um, it says, faith understands, again, I'm just quoting sections that I think Francis may come up with. Uh, faith understands that something so apparently ephemeral and fleeting as a word, when spoken by the God who is fidelity, becomes absolutely certain and unshakable, guaranteeing the continuity of our journey through history. And, and, and this is on journey. Um, faith um, is not just uh, faith, but it's faithfulness. He plays on the words uh, fides and fidelis and fidelitas. You know, faith, faithful, faithfulness. Uh, they're all connected. And our faith in God uh, is, happens because of God's faithfulness to us, and God's self-revelation to us. Again, I think that's, that's uh, a theme Francis uh, uh, repeats constantly, about God's love for us, God's unconditional love for us. Even when we're sinners, doesn't matter. That's always emphasized. Doesn't matter if you're a sinner. The more you sin, the more God loves you. Uh, just, you know, be like the prodigal son. At least make the first step back, and then God will come out running to you like the Father does, you know. And, uh, um, I think that's, that's where the rubber hits the road for us. Uh, all of us acknowledge ourselves as sinners. And that doesn't say, you know, we do anything we want. Because the other part of that is uh, being the body of Christ here on earth. Uh, people who are the hands and feet of Christ, uh, trying to heal, trying to strengthen the world. 
Um, the St. Augustine Barber quoted this word, but I think I'll mention it again because it's from St. Augustine. Uh, man is faithful when he believes in God and his promises. God is faithful when he grants to man what he has promised. Again, that, uh, there's another quote from Augustine I'll mention later. But uh, Augustine appears several times in this encyclical. Uh, he says, God's love is uh, seen to be like that of a father who carries his child along the way. Get an image of uh, the uh, son of the prodigal, the uh, prodigal son's father, coming out and reading his son, throwing the globe around him. Uh, that, that image, Francis likes a lot. Um, this is a little bit of a long quote, but I think it's important. And at first I thought this was Benedict, but the more I thought about it, I think it's Francis. And it's something that uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon uh, emphasized about the French philosopher. He says, idols exist, we begin to see, as a pretext for setting ourselves at the center of reality and worshiping the work of our own hands. Once man has lost the fundamental orientation which unifies his existence, he breaks down into the multiplicity of his desires. In refusing to await the time of promise, his life story disintegrates into a myriad of unconnected instances. Idolatry, then, is always polytheism, an aimless passing from one lord to another. Idolatry does not offer a journey, but rather a plethora of paths leading nowhere and forming a vast labyrinth. Those who choose not to put their trust in God must hear the din of countless idols crying out, put your trust in me. Faith, tied as it is to conversion, is the opposite of idolatry. It breaks with idols to turn to the living God in a personal encounter. Believing means entrusting oneself to a merciful love which always accepts and pardons, that's pure Francis, uh, which sustains and directs our lives, and which shows the power by its ability to make straight the crooked lines of our history. Faith consists in the willingness to let ourselves be constantly transformed and renewed by God's call. Herein lies the paradox. By constantly turning toward the Lord, we discover a sure path which liberates us from the dissolution of being imposed upon us by idols sort of an anti-Nietzschean uh, expression. Nietzsche, you know, this, uh, the idea of the twilight of gods and uh, how to create our own idols of uh, self-sufficiency. Um, and, um, you know, I think uh, Francis is saying just the opposite. Use the image of a labyrinth. And, and a labyrinth is uh, different. Um, maybe the word isn't labyrinth, more of a maze, you know, where we get confused and we get wandering in different directions so we can't get out. Labyrinths generally have a path from one end to the other. Uh, maybe they just translate the word. Uh, but the idea that uh, life is a journey where there is a beginning and an end of maze or labyrinth, we just keep going around in circles. And, um, you know, if we uh, worship false, false idols, uh, whether it's power, possession, pride, pleasure, whatever, uh, we're not going to get anywhere in life. You know, we're not going to discover who we are. We're not going to discover anybody else. Uh, we're, we're going to be in that maze forever. He says, Christian faith is centered on Christ. It is the confession that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. Again, a very Christocentric approach. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm going to skip some of these things. Says, to enable us to know, accept, and follow him, the Son of God took on our faith. In this way, he also saw the Father humanly within, seeing the journey, within the setting of a journey unfolding in time. Again, this historical, down-to-earth notion of a journey, seeing Jesus as the one who is with us, the way, the truth, and the light, 
Um, this is very much uh, Francis. Uh, faith in Christ brings salvation because in him our lives become radically open to a love that precedes us, a love that transforms us from within, acting in and through us. The Christian can see with the eyes of Jesus and share in his mind his field of disposition because he or she shares in his love, which is the Spirit. In the love of Jesus, we receive a certain way his vision. Without being conformed to him in love, without the presence of the Spirit, it is impossible to confess him as Lord. So again, this Christus-centric approach, the whole idea of we are baptized into Jesus Christ, the Spirit becomes part of us, uh, we become the living body of Christ in our world. Uh, faith transforms the whole person uh, precisely to the extent that he or she becomes open to love. Through this blending of faith and love, we come to see the kind of knowledge with which faith entails, its power to convince and its ability to illumine our steps. Faith knows because it is tied to love, because love itself brings enlightenment. Faith's understanding is born when we receive the immense love of God, which transforms us inwardly and enables us to see new reality, see reality with new eyes. The idea of uh, vision, as Barbara talked about, is, is prominent, uh, but it's the vision uh, of faith. It's not the vision of sight. It's uh, seeing with uh, the eyes of the spirit, uh, seeing the uniqueness of other persons, seeing the needs that others have, and so forth. Um, and uh, as much as he talks about vision, talks about um, perspicacity and how vision helps us to see the big picture, and I think that's actually Benedict, uh, he has a line from Augustine here that's uh, interesting. He says, the decisive moment in Augustine's journey of faith, as he tells us in the confession, was not a, in the vision of God above and beyond this world, but in an experience of hearing. In the garden, he heard a voice telling him, take and read. And he then took up the book containing the epistles of St. Paul and started to read the 13th chapter of the letter to the Romans. In this way, the personal God of the Bible appeared to him, a God who was able to speak to us, to come down, to dwell in our midst, and to accompany our journey through history, making himself known in the time of hearing and response. So this is the whole section on the importance of hearing and listening to the word. Uh, today we celebrate the Feast of, of St. Jerome. And Jerome said, you know, if you don't know and appreciate the Bible, you don't know and appreciate Jesus. You know, the, the Bible uh, is the way uh, that we come to understand uh, both the uh, Hebrew scriptures that point to Jesus and the Christian scriptures that reflect on the, the presence and action of Jesus in life. And I think he's saying that here, that faith comes through hearing. And Paul says that uh, because it's through the spoken word that we uh, connect with, with our ancient traditions. Um, a couple of things um, Barbara kind of alluded to. That, uh, he's not only talking about faith uh, for Christians, but uh, how faith impacts uh, all people in the world. And I'll close with this. He says, um, because faith is a way, it also has to do with the lives of those men and women who, though not believers, nonetheless desire to believe and continue to seek, to the extent that they are sincerely open to love and set out with whatever light they can find, they are already, even without knowing it, on the path leading to faith. So it connects faith with uh, the, the um, work of the Spirit and those who are, are not yet Christians or for one reason or another won't, can't or won't become Christians. 
Because anyone who sets off on the path of doing good to others is already drawing near to God, is already sustained by God's help. For it is characteristic of the divine light to brighten our eyes whenever we walk towards the fullness of love and the image of faith, light, and love, the light of faith uh, leading to and uh, existing in the love. Um, his final, I'll, I'll close with this, actually his final words in the encyclical, it's actually a prayer, a prayer to Mary who he sees as the exemplar of faith. You know, when the angel appears to Mary, it was an act of faith, be it done unto me according to your word. She didn't understand the implications of that or how it was all going to unfold, uh, but she is the exemplar of, of faith for us all, of trusting God's faithfulness to things would work out. So he gets to the prayer, he says, uh, let us turn in prayer to Mary, the mother of the church and the mother of our faith. Mother, help our faith. Open our ears to hear God's word and recognize his voice of call. Again, hear him. Awaken us to the desire to follow in his footsteps, to go forth from our own land and receive his promise. Help us to be touched by his love, that we may touch him in faith. Help us to entrust ourselves fully to him and to believe in his love, especially at times of trial, beneath the shadow of the cross, when our faith is called to mature. So in our faith, the joy of the risen Remind us that those who believe are never alone. Teach us to see all the things with the eyes of Jesus, that he may need light for our path. And may this light of faith always increase in us until the dawn of that undying day, which is Christ himself, your Son, our Lord. A beautiful ending to a very beautiful document. Um, whether Benedict wrote most of it or Francis uh, put together, it's a very beautiful, powerful document. Barbara suggested. Um, I, I skipped part of that I had about uh, the idea of suffering and um, how that involves faith. Um, but um, you can read that for yourself as you read the encyclical. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. I'm Kathy, and um, pleasure to be here with you this evening. Um, I, I feel uh, when Barbara first uh, reached out to me to be on the panel, you know, I thought, well, what? I'm not sure that what I have to offer. I'm just like, you know, regular person. <laughs> I'm with a theologian. I'm with a philosopher. But these two people mean a lot to me, and I thought as long as I was up here, I would I would share a little bit. Um, so. Uh, Peter Spitaler, when I was getting my master's in theology, uh, he, he is a wonderful, wonderful professor. And I took him three times for three different classes on, on New Testament scripture. And I, as I was hearing you speak tonight, I thought, this is the man who I had read Romans a few times in my life before I knew you. And it wasn't until I, I read Romans with you that it actually made sense to me and that I... Um, started to understand um, some of the messages in there. And so I, I want to thank you for that and, and for the gift of faith that, that you put in my life through your courses. And for Father Jim McCartney, we were reminiscing when we first got here. When I, I graduated from Villanova, as Barbara said, and then that was in 1982. And in 1989, I came back to work in the law school. And uh, uh, after being back at Villanova at the law school, uh, Jim was probably the first Augustinian that I rebacked or met um, at rejoining the school, uh, rejoining campus. I had not known him when I was an undergraduate. And uh, he would celebrate Mass one morning a week at the law school. I forget what morning it was, and then there was a group of us who would go to Mass and then have coffee together. 
And we would always talk about amazingly profound things, it seemed like, on the, at these little um, coffee or breakfast meetings. And Jim was really um, probably the first priest, or Augustinian, but even priest, that um, had such a real-world experience of faith through his medical work and his work with hospitals and with people who were on the margins of life and death. And it really opened my eyes as to faith in action and, and that people can espouse faith and, and have certain platitudes, but sometimes the lived experience, the lived human experience, um, that includes suffering, um, as well as many other things, really can uh, evolve and nurture and shape your faith in, in a very beautiful way. And I learned that from you back then, so thank you for that. So I was laying in bed this morning before getting up thinking, Oh my goodness, you know, what will I have to offer um, at the panel tonight? Um, I'm with the people who know so much more than I, and probably most of you in the audience in all honesty know more than I know. Um, and, and what could I possibly offer? And I started to pray about it a little bit, and, and then I had this aha moment, and I thought, what, what I can offer is my faith, uh, because I have uh, been on a journey of faith, and, and the word journey is very noticeable in, in the document when you read it, and, and my journey has, like everybody's, had ups and downs and uh, meanders in various ways, uh, but for whatever reason, I've always been blessed to have a journey of faith and have always been both filled with faith and faithful to the church. And so I come here tonight with a little bit of uh, my own faith uh, to share with you, but then also as it relates to some of the ideas in the uh, encyclical. And, you know, I've not read a lot of people encyclicals before, despite <laughs> my master's in theology. So, so as, as both uh, Jim and Peter said, it is a very readable document, um, and it was really striking to me how much it talks about light and love and uh, hope. And, and I, I kept going back to the Corinthians, faith, hope, and love, and the grace of Jesus' love. And I thought, well, that's why they said we're called love earlier, and they said love, hope, was earlier. Um, and, and maybe sometimes in today's world we forget about faith. And, and I was wondering if maybe that's why Francis decided to make this his first encyclical. Maybe it was also that Benedict had done a big chunk of it, and, and he wanted to be respectful to Benedict. But, and here I'm calling them by their first names like I know them, but you know, read well for tonight, pretend that I know them. Um, so, um, but, but I was thinking maybe with what we've seen of this new Pope Francis, um, what he really is interested in is invigorating and illuminating, another word he uses a lot, the faith that is in the world today to really nurture it because sometimes faith can feel countercultural in today's world. And um, as, as others have alluded to, there is this whole underpinning in the first section of the encyclical about faith and reason and that people can just pursue reason and knowledge and, and um, faith gets dimmed and, and doesn't end up being a player, but then you really don't have complete truth if you don't have faith to walk alongside of that. 
And as I thought about that, I was like, yeah, that's right. And, and I actually thought of bees because, well, I, I'm not a physicist. My understanding is if you apply all the principles of aerophysics to bees, they shouldn't be able to fly. Um, but yet they do. So it would suggest that, that we don't always know everything um, as much as our humanity tends to have hubris and, and to think we do know everything or we can know everything. But, but maybe the knowing, um, I think what Francis or this encyclical might be saying to us is our knowing or our pursuit of truth is a good thing, but really it's not complete unless it's complemented by a faith um, that, of course, in our tradition is in God, but, but even maybe for those who are non-believers, which he does talk about, uh, a faith in, in something more, you know, that there's something more out there that... that is interacting with us and, and is a part of our world. So, um, so, so my most basic takeaway in, in reading through the encyclical was that it's important for us to still think about faith and, and to think about how faith plays out in our life. And I, too, looked for a definition and did not see one, um, which was interesting. But to share a little bit of my own context, and then, then I'll go to, uh, to some things that, that struck me as well from the words in, in the letter. But as a child, you know, probably many of us, if you grew up in a Christian household, um, you know, we learned to pray, we learned sort of the tenets of the faith, you, you learned Jesus this, God that, Holy Spirit this. Um, I was born in 1960, so I have no recollection of the Latin Mass, in all honesty. And I remember when we got new missiles and the words were changed, because um, actually I'm an army brat, so my dad, we were living in Germany, and you know we didn't have any American missiles, so my dad had gotten out of the newspaper or something at the army base and it taped all the English you know, words into our, our missiles um, that might have had us entering under the roof um, at the time before it changed again. Um, but... Um, but, but that faith was, was part of my life, and for whatever reason, you know, I bought into it. And, and to this day, I, I struggle with that sense of why does one person seem to have faith and another doesn't. And in this encyclical, you know, as, as others have said, it's a lot about hearing and seeing, but why do some seem to hear and see more easily than others? And, and that's something that challenges me and that I ponder and I wonder about. Um, and maybe it's one of those mysteries of, of life, but, but it also makes me more forgiving when, when someone doesn't have faith or when someone sees things differently than I do because I don't know why I see things the way I do and, and I certainly don't know why they see things the way they do. And, and I think part of the encyclical, the, the last line that, that Jim was quoting there was also a line I had of... Um, Far from making us inflexible, the security of faith sets us on a journey. It enables witness and dialogue with all. And I thought, you know, that's pretty neat. That that that's not saying you don't believe what I believe. You're going to hell. No, 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 no. But and I'm not saying the church says that most of the time. But but you feel like there might be some times where that can be a message that can uh, that I feel like I've heard um, uh, from some. And, and I found it very hopeful, prior to cyclical, but still very hopeful, that, that maybe in this uh, encyclical is a message that um, 
as everyone else has said, that there's a lot. It's the big picture, as, as Peter started us off with, of what is faith. And it isn't one thing, and it isn't one set of tenets. Um, and very much going back to, to uh, scripture, and very much going back to the earliest of our church fathers of, of what the state might be. Um, and, and also having a great emphasis on um, this notion that God is all-merciful and all-forgiving. Um, and it's interesting because I, I don't think it was in the encyclical, but recently my husband and I were having this conversation about Peter, you know, St. Peter. And you, you think of faith, and we think of Peter as having so much faith, and he's the, you know, at least arguably, if you want to read it that way, the first pope. And yet, you know, he denied Jesus when the gun got tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and was that a lack of faith or a lack of courage? You know, I don't know. I wasn't there, but it was a lack of something. Um, and yet, Jesus still came back to him and said, "You're my man," you know, or person. What <laughs> like, person? But you happen to be a man. But um, <laughs> you know, you are my rock. And 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 then Jesus went on to say to Peter, "Feed my sheep." And and I think that that. Is the, the what what Francis is trying to do is continue that uh, leader of the church of feeding feeding the sheep um, by giving us this way of maybe looking at faith in a very positive light, but also a very open light. Um, because I think for many of us, and, and maybe I should only speak for myself, but for me, my journey of faith has not always completely coincided with the hierarchical church or the institutional church. And and over the years, I, I have stayed very committed. You know, at, at one point, I would have loved to have been a priest, in all honesty. And, and I left public school to go to Catholic school because I thought, maybe then they'll let me in. And at that time, I had no idea how deep-seated was the, you know, tradition. <laughs> I was a priest. I was a child, very optimistic child, and still a very optimistic person. But... Um, uh, that made me lose my train of thought. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Let me see if it'll come back. Um, oh well, it's gone. Okay. Um, but but anyway, so so in the encyclical in in both talking about reading the scriptures and how important the scriptures are, um, I found that was a part of my own faith journey as well. And, oh, I think I know where I was going to go with that other thing. So at some point when I started reading, and, and I was like this goofy kid. I, I When I was getting confirmed in seventh or eighth grade, I think it was seventh grade, I asked for a Bible for Christmas. It was the 70s. It was called, like, The Way. And it was some super cool translation of the Bible. And, you know, I had... Jesus had be, you know, on the front cover, and um, but I, I sat down and I read those gospels, like cover to cover, from chapter one to chapter whatever was the last chapter of each one, and that was not something as Catholics that we really were taught to do, and and that was sort of the beginning of what I would call was my real journey of faith, um, and so I loved how much Francis incorporated in uh, into the encyclical uh, things from from both the Gospels as well as from the um, letters of Paul. But what you realize is that sometimes, or what I realized, I should say, is sometimes my faith varied from my church. 
And, and I don't know about those of you sitting out here who choose to come to this, but for me that has been a big uh, challenge at different times in my life. Of Should I continue to be Catholic? Um, am I being a hypocrite if there are things that I honestly just don't believe are of God? Um, and that I, I don't doubt, you know, Jesus as the Son of God or, or God being our, our creator and our loving creator, but, but there are some things that have developed in the last thousand years that I just don't buy into. Um, and, and then I can be filled with just joy sometimes when you're at a mass and, and you think, you know, in like the year 90, people were saying very similar words to what I'm saying right here, right here and, and it's 1900 years later, like there's something to this. Um, or to be somewhere and, and just have that experience of feeling that God's with you. So, so what I really liked about this encyclical, going back to that, is not that Francis by any means was saying, you know, the church doesn't have it all, but, but I felt like he was saying there are things that are more important or, or that are the most important. And the things that are the most important um, are love, are that Jesus is our mediator. He has a whole section in the, in the middle of the letter, I think it's the second chapter, where, where he um, says, or whoever wrote it, says, um, faith leads to trust in God's merciful love, which always welcomes and forgives. And I thought, now, now you know, what if that is what we're shouting from the rooftops? Um, trust in God's merciful love, which always welcomes and forgives. And, and it's interesting because then he, he, he talks about how in today's world we trust a lot of people who we think are more expert than we are. We trust our architect, we trust our lawyer, we trust our pharmacists. I was thinking I trust our engineers as I cross a bridge. Um, and, and he's saying, so we should trust Jesus to let us know who God is. And God is that mediator, which, you know, is a, a common theological way of viewing Jesus. But, but I, I loved how he put it in, like, our modern-day times. Uh, there's a lot of experts out there that we trust all the time. And, and Jesus is our expert to trust on God. And I thought, yes, that's right. Because how do we come to know God? Well, through God's creation, in my own view, but, but also through Jesus, who knows God in a way none of us can ever know God. Um, and, and sees that truth and has that faith and wants to share that with us. So, so those are some of the things that I thought were really very, very powerful in the encyclical. Um, and, and it's funny, like I had three last quotes to share, and they're the same last three quotes that, that Jim, Jim had shared because um, it, it really is kind of neat. Uh, Anyone who sets off on the path of doing good to others is already drawing near to God. So, again, that's it, it reminded me, I'm a big Les Mis fan. I don't know if you are, but the last line of, of Les Mis is in the musical, I don't know about the textbook, the novel, but, you know, to love another person is to see the face of God. And, and even if you study the Gospel of John, like, it's really about loving others. And, and that's kind of what faith is, is doing the right thing, loving others, caring about the common good, um, valuing family, others, creation, um, 
And, and that's what really, really matters. And maybe that that's the foundation that we're being called to by God, that the foundation of faith is love and God's love, God's love for us as well as our love for God. And that that's really what it's all about. Um, and, and for me, that was consoling and joyful giving because sometimes my struggle is with this church. And, and it's nice to hear a pope say, maybe at the end of the day, that's not the most important thing, but gosh, love and God's love is the most important thing. <laughs>